If we haven't met yet, uh, I'd love to introduce myself to you. My name's Tom. Uh, I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church plant as the lead pastor, along with my wife, Ebony, on eldership with the incomparable Herrick and Heather Berga. Um, yeah, I missed you guys quite a bit this last couple weeks. I was, uh, I was away for a bit. <clears throat> my family and I took... Uh, I don't know, a couple weeks, really to kind of get our household in order. Uh, it's funny, I've had a couple people come up to me and be like, hey, how was the vacation? <laughs> and I was like, it uh, wasn't really, like vacation in the sense of rest and like replenishment. It was more of like addressing, um, frankly, an area of our life that needed order and needed like, it's hard to rest when things get so chaotic that you, there's no organization and all that kind of stuff. So we spent some time uh, kind of really addressed like our calendar, addressed our household, all the different rooms and try to organize things so that we could be in an environment where we could rest and we could, um, and it's not like a requirement for us to go find a sandy beach for us to rest. Do you know what I'm saying? So, but it was good. I really, it was hard though because I really missed you guys. Uh, it really is like, Man, it really is such a privilege to be part of this community. I love you dearly. So I missed you, but um, really quickly before I jump in today, if any of you guys are considering jumping into this intro to gospel community thing, uh, I highly encourage you to sign up. Um, And here's why. We really do believe that the church is the family of God. We say this all the time. You're going to get tired of hearing me say this. You've heard Herrick say it a dozen times this morning. We believe that the church is the family of God. Um, it's not an event, it's not a business, it's not a building, it is a people that we belong to in the same way you belong to your biological family. Um, we relate to God as father, that means we relate to each other as brothers and sisters. The church is a series of relationships, okay? So, you becoming the man or the woman that God has created and designed for you to be apart from community is going to be impossible. Um, just coming to an event or listening to a podcast or, or even reading the Bible by yourself. As beautiful as those things are, as beneficial as those things are, you're not encountering relationship with other Christians that are going to strengthen you and challenge you. Um, and a lot of us don't want to be, we want to we live very comfortable lives. But Jesus hasn't called you to a comfortable life. He's called you to an adventurous life, a beautiful life, a full life. And you being isolated, that can't happen. So the way we, way we structure our church, we're not like a church with like small groups or a church with gospel communities. We are a church of gospel communities that happens to gather on Sundays to praise and worship Jesus because he's worth it. But we have rhythms of life together. Again, it's relationship, rhythms of life together so we can grow in our knowledge of God, like him intimately, and that's gonna happen through people, okay? So I cannot encourage you enough, grab the app, sign up. Even if you're like, I'm weird, or not I'm weird. <laughs> even if you're like, even if you're like, this guy talking with the microphone's weird, I don't want to go to his house and talk about Jesus, but I know I need to grow in Christ. So, like, you can come one or two times, get a feel, and bounce if you want to. I would, that, would, that would be a bummer. But I'd rather have you take small steps towards, okay, I'm going to investigate this because it really is super beneficial. Okay? There's my spiel. I'm trying to sell it as best I can. Uh, although sales probably the wrong verb because it's Jesus, and he's the most glorious, amazing, beautiful person thing in the world, in the universe. So yeah, okay, go ahead, grab your Bibles, John chapter 8, that's where we're going to be this morning. We're jumping back into a series that we've titled Jesus Is, and this is a series where we are investigating Jesus through the Gospel of John. Okay, the Gospel of John, written by the Apostle John, um, known affectionately in the, 
in the gospel that he wrote as the, as the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, many people think this is Jesus' closest friend. Okay? It's his eyewitness account, and he tells us at the end of his, of his, of his gospel, his eyewitness account of life, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he tells us why he wrote this account is because he wants people to believe that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the God-man, God becoming man um, to pay the debt of the sins of the world. Okay? So he has an agenda with this. He wants you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. All right? We're convinced that the Bible teaches us that what we believe about Jesus is like the most important thing in your life. That's a strong statement, but I, I want you to like hear me say it again. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing in your life. It's more important than what you're going to do with your time. It's more important than what you're going to do with your money. In fact, I would say it influences those things. It's more important than how you treat your children or, or your spouse or your relationships or your friends or what you're going to do for a living, or it's like the most important thing because it informs how you will live, okay? So we're jumping into this series again today. Uh, I'm going to start with a question, though, really quick. Have you ever known that something was wrong and you did it anyway? Like, not like ignorant, like, oh, man, I totally screwed up. Like, I didn't, I, but like where you, you think about it, you consider it, you come to the conclusion in your brain, this is wrong, and I'm going to do it anyway. Um, how many students in the room? Will you raise your hands for me right now? Okay. I'm, I'm honing in on you two this morning because I'm going to share something. I'm going to share something that's going to make me look... Uh, it's kind of an embarrassing story. I grew up in a wonderful household. My parents are here. Okay. <laughs> They were wonderful parents. They disciplined me well. I had a clear understanding of what was right and wrong. That being said, I'm going to share a story with you, okay? Um, when I was in high school, let me just say this. Do not do what I'm about to say, okay? When I was in high school, uh, I, think, I think it was my sophomore year, <clears throat> and I had health class in the middle of the day, so not like end of the day, not beginning of the day, middle of the day. I had health class with Mr. Joyce. And Mr. Joyce was a fine guy. He was cool. And I remember on a Friday, he comes to the class, or on a Thursday, he comes to the class and says, hey, tomorrow, Friday, tomorrow, I'm not going to be here. The sub's coming in, but tomorrow's a really important day. Don't miss class tomorrow. So he says that as class is ending, we leave class and a group of kids uh, are discussing what they're going to, like, where they're going to skip class, like, where they're going to go do when they skip class. And, and one of those, one of the people in that crew was a girl that I really wanted to impress. And sure enough, this girl goes, hey, you should come with us. And that was the moment when you make that choice where you're like, I know I shouldn't do this, but I really want to impress this girl. So guess what I did? I said yes. All right? <clears throat> so the next day rolls around. We're supposed to go to In-N-Out Burger. Okay? Next day rolls around, and that class is about to start. And this is like back in the day, guys. Like, this was before schools were like on lockdown. Like, you could come and go as you pleased. It was kind of this weird reality that it doesn't even make sense now. Like, but either way, so we all like walk to this person's car. 
I'm with this girl. I think, like, I'm the coolest guy in the world. This girl wants to go to lunch with me. She invited me. This is amazing. I'm like a sophomore. She's a senior. This is like, this is, this is a big deal, okay, when you're an adolescent. So I get in this car. We drive in and out. I'm like, dude, this is so cool. We walk in and out. I've told this story before. I think some of you guys have heard this. Um, I walk into in and out I'm standing in line, thinking I'm the coolest guy in the world. I'm looking at the menu, and there's not a lot of in and out right? But I'm like, what am I going to get? And I look over. Mr. Joyce is sitting right there at the table. <laughs> and he's, he's already spotted me. And he's looking at me, and he's just like, you can see the look on his face. Like, I specifically told you not to miss class. And you are here during my class. So I just like instantly walk away from the group of kids, walk to Mr. Joyce, and I sit down at this table. I'm like, Mr. Joyce, I'm so sorry. Like, I made a mistake, man. Like, please forgive me. Don't fail me. Don't fuck me in your class. All this stuff. And he just goes, you made a huge mistake, man. And I'm like, I know I'm so sorry. And he goes, no, you don't understand. I'm like, and he just points across the room behind me. And I turn around, and at the table directly across from me, is Mr. Collier our principal? And he goes, you might want to go talk to Mr. Collier. So at this point, I've, it's clear I've made a mistake. It's clear this was a royal screw-up, forgive my language, but either way, I walk across the In-N-Out uh, restaurant, whatever, like, dining area, and I go and sit down in front of Mr. Collier, and I'm like, Mr. Collier, I'm so sorry. And he just looks at me and he goes, School is not for skipping. Like, this is a big deal, all this stuff. And he goes, I remember him saying, like, something to the effect of your parents will be getting a phone call this afternoon to let them know what happened. And I remember, like, yep, they should. Like, I totally made a mistake. I knew it was wrong. I chose it anyway. Do not ever, (laughs) ever skip class. Um, I got caught doing something I was not supposed to do, and I knew I wasn't supposed to do it. And I got caught in, like, a spectacular fashion. You can't write that. Today we're going to talk about this, this, um, this story in John chapter 8 where this woman, she gets caught in like a really dramatic way, doing something she knows is wrong. She gets caught in this dramatic way. And what is kind of alarming about this passage isn't so much that she gets caught doing something she shouldn't do, although that can, then what she did was alarming. It's how Jesus responds to her. So, John chapter 8. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll read, okay? Holy Spirit, I ask you um, to help us this morning. Help us to see Jesus clearly in all of his glory, in all of his power, and all of his authority. That he's not just some man who has good teachings. He's not just moral. Like he's, he's almighty God in the flesh. So would you humble us this morning? Would you comfort us with the reality of who you are? Would you guide our time? I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to do this morning. So please use me. I love you, Jesus, so much. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 2. Okay, follow with me here. Verse 2, it says this. At dawn, he, the he is Jesus, at dawn, Jesus went to the temple again temple, place of worship, okay? And all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach. Really quickly, teaching point, I'm standing, you're sitting, right? Uh, Typically, rabbis would sit when they taught. 
So it says that he, he, it says that he sat down and began to teach. That might sound funky, but that's just the way they did things, okay? Um, it also says something really interesting here. It says that at dawn, at dawn. Uh, how many of us are regularly up and out of the house at dawn? Let me, hear, let me see some hands. Okay, many of us. So you're driving when it's dark. Yeah, I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, either way. Um, I remember when I was in college, I commuted to college for a couple years to kind of finish things up. And when I, and my commute, I would have early classes. I would have to do that. And I remember like setting my alarm. Like I remember being on the freeway for something like 45 minutes to an hour before the sun came up. It was just so ungodly and wrong. Okay. It was terrible. As many of you guys, I'm looking at you, you know, Uh, but either way, when this idea of like getting up and down, I remember having to like, I played this game with myself. I genuinely tried to trick myself because my alarm would go off so early, my body would like not allow me to get out of bed. And what I would do is I would trick myself. I'd be like, okay, you're going on a trip. You're going to go camping. It's going to be so great. Just get out of bed. It's going to be wonderful. And I would, it sounds so dumb, but I would trick myself so that my body would get out of bed and get moving. Because here's the thing. Only something important gets you up and out of the house at dawn. Okay, it has to be something that really matters. Many of you I saw raising your hands, you're doing that to support your families and take care of your kids. Beautiful. Something really important has to get you up and out of bed and out of the house at dawn. Jesus is no different. Okay, he's up and out of the house at dawn for something that was important to him, something that mattered Spoiler alert, really quickly, that something's actually a someone. And it's this woman that we're going to see here in this next verse. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, scribes are the teachers of the law, then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Okay, pause for a second. These scribes and these Pharisees, what they do is they accuse this woman publicly, right? They exposed her sin to all these people. Now, I want you to, like, just think about this for a second. Okay, I don't want us to just fly through these narratives without actually kind of inserting ourselves in them. Uh, Think about this. You have Jesus getting up at dawn, coming to the temple, people crowding around him. He begins to teach. He sits on the floor, right? In the middle of his teaching, he's sitting on the floor. There's a group of people, some scribes and some Pharisees. They bust in, and they have this woman. Again, it's early in the morning. And they throw her in the center of the crowd, and they start making these accusations towards her that she's committed. They caught her in the act of committing adultery, and they fully expose her publicly. Like, have you ever been exposed even remotely close to this? Like, these people totally put this girl on blast, man. Have you ever felt anything quite like that? I remember when I was in sixth grade, uh, I remember a class, I'll, this, I'm going to keep my teacher's name out of it this time, uh, I had a class, and the rule in the class was you cannot pass notes. This was before text messaging, so you actually had to write a letter to your friends in class and hand it to them before phones. And 
the, 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 the classroom rule was no passing notes. If you pass notes, it's going to go on what's called a blackboard. Okay, blackboard before whiteboard, you use chalk. <clears throat> it, would go, it would go on the blackboard for the entire class to see. That's a pretty big deterrent to keep you from passing notes in class. So I remember um, this girl got caught one day. And she just immediately burst into tears, like lost it. Like the class is going like, you just got busted passing a note. Like, is it really that bad? You know, like she's losing it. And so sure enough, teacher puts it on the blackboard, like doesn't describe it. She just like pins it up there, right? And after class, the whole class comes and reads this note. And guys, like I remember there was like, like the language was like really bad, um, so as you're a sixth grader, it's kind of like, well, you shouldn't be talking like that or writing like that. It's pretty gnarly. But the stuff that this girl wrote, like she was gossiping hardcore about a bunch of people in the class. And it was like, they're all reading it. And it was like, oh, this is so awkward. She's like talking smack on the teacher and like all this gnarly stuff. And it's like vulgar. And like the boy that she's a crush on in the class, she's talking to her friend about that. This girl just gets humiliated. Like, The whole class sees this, right? She broke the rules and she was exposed publicly, right? Totally humiliated. Like, think about that with your sin with this woman we just read about in this passage. Like, think about, imagine if your sins were exposed publicly. One of the pictures we love to use here is like, imagine if this was like a special microphone and it puts on your head and then it just broadcasts over the loudspeaker, just your thoughts for the last, like, week. Like, none of us would have friends. Like, it would be awful. <clears throat> but think about it. You're, imagine, your sins get exposed publicly. They get put on the blackboard. And again, not like the silly stuff, you know, but like the ugly stuff. The stuff that's, like, really not good. The stuff that would make the room be like, whoa. This woman, her sin is exposed publicly, but not only that, but her specific sin, the adultery piece, right? It was punishable by death. So not only like publicly humiliated, totally exposed, if that's not enough, the punishment is you get stoned to death. If you guys know what stoning is, we're gonna read about this, but stoning is basically they throw rocks at you until you die. It's like pretty gruesome. Side note, really quickly, um, the law that these scribes and Pharisees are citing, you know, about women, we should, should we stone this woman? She got caught in adultery. Like, the law was actually for the man and the woman. Like, both parties that get caught in the act of adultery. Where's the dude? Where's the guy? Like, he's nowhere to be found here, okay? So, these Pharisees and their scribes, they're only applying part of the law. They're picking and choosing here, okay? And in the process, they're clearly discriminating against this woman, She's guilty, absolutely, but they're clearly discriminating against her. Unfortunately, them being like sexist didn't function in their, didn't come to their mind as being something that's like not okay as they're going about their accusations. Friends, unfortunately, this is like a pretty common thing with religious people. Religious people, they're notorious for discriminating, discriminating against people that they deem less than for whatever reason. Gender, race, socioeconomic background, what they do for a living, where they live, all the, you could think of a thousand different things. 
I just want to be clear. I'm going to kind of hijack this for just a second. We're the church. I love our church. I love how, I love how diverse we are on, on many levels. I love, um, I love that there's unity and there's growing love in that diversity, age, stage of life, race, background, all that. It's beautiful. That's the way it's supposed to be. <clears throat> the last book of the Bible, the gospel, or the gospel, the book of Revelation talks about every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's like the kingdom of heaven being made up of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It's this beautiful diversity and unity amongst that. Like there's no place for discrimination in the family of God at all. At all. So I'm not just gonna, I don't wanna pick on ladies really quickly, but I'm going to. Like ladies, I speak for our church, especially your brothers. When I tell you like you're not less than, you are a vital part of the body of Christ. Um, we can't do this without you. You matter. Um, and I want you to know we support that. We love you. We back you. Men, same thing. I speak for the women. Like, we have your back. Um, not that I'm a woman, but you know what I mean? Like, the community has you. There's not this less than thing. It's unity and diversity. And frankly, that diversity means that we are way more capable than we were if we were all the same. So yeah, let's look back at passage, I'm sorry, yeah, look back at the passage, uh, verse five here. I'm done with my little rant there. <clears throat> Actually, no, I'm not. <laughs> I just have to say this, like, like we're called to be a different people, right? The church is supposed to be uh, a counter to the culture. We're called to not just love each other, but to, like, to honor each other and to value each other and to respect each other, even in the differences. I need to say that. Like, that's what we're called to be. That there will be, not, not that like we're going to all be cookie cutter the same, there will be differences, but in the middle of those differences, how beautiful is it when we honor, respect, and, um, and value each other despite the differences? Does that make sense? I just, I, we need to know that. Okay, well now I'll jump back in. Verse 5 in chapter 8 here. <clears throat> uh, in, the law, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? So they're posing this question. They put this woman on blast. Now they're going to Jesus. They've interrupted his teaching. Hey, the law says we're supposed to stone this woman who's caught in adultery. <clears throat> what do you say? Verse six, they asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. <clears throat> okay, really quickly. When it says that they wanted to trap Jesus, um, they knew Jesus had this history of being really compassionate with sinners. So he would associate, he would eat and drink with, with tax collectors. You guys know what tax collectors are? Um, it's not, just really quickly, it's not just like an IRS agent. Um, <clears throat> tax collectors were, were Jewish people that were living amongst the other Jewish people. But because the Jews, by and large, were occupied by Rome, the Roman government, right? The, the Romans would tax them and they would use the tax collectors, Jewish people, to, to collect those taxes. But what those tax collectors would do is they would extort their people. So if I'm a tax collector um, and the government's going, I need to tax you guys, <clears throat> and the government's telling me, take 50%, 50% tax on everything, I come to you and I say, actually, it's an 80% tax. And I keep 30% for myself. That's what these people were doing. So they were hated. Like in their community. This isn't like an outsider. This is an insider that's got kind of corrupted things. That's a tax collector. Okay, so the, Jesus associated with these people that the rest of the Jewish population hated Okay, so he associated with tax collectors. He associated with prostitutes. He associated with like the, the less than people that most of the culture would have deemed less than. <clears throat> so, really quickly, 
The, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew this about Jesus, so they said this to trap him. And here's the trap. Either Jesus disagrees with the law of Moses that this woman should be stoned. He has compassion, right? He's like, no, she shouldn't be stoned, which would disagree with the law of Moses, which would get him into trouble. He either does that, or he advocates for capital punishment, which would have been against what the Romans wanted, would have been against their rules. So the trap is this. He's either against the law of Moses, or he's against the rule of Rome. You see this? Okay. This is called manipulation. Um, you guys familiar with ceramics? Why are you giggling? <laughs> ceramics, right? Like pots and stuff? It was a, it was a killer transition. It was a killer transition. <laughs> so ceramics. Yeah, I'm, I'm going. Um, you guys know it's like the wheel, like the, the wheel that you kick and it spins and you put the clay on there, right? Um, my wife, Ebony, she's like, I just love her. She's like creative and sees the world and like detailing things. And, um, and so she did a little bit of ceramics in school. And it was funny because this week we were like deep cleaning our house or last week or whatever. And I asked her, I'm like, hey, can I see some of your ceramic stuff? And she showed me some of it. I'm like, oh, this is like, you made this and it's like, cur- it's, just, it's just cool. Either way, you guys are familiar with the wheel and the stuff, right? You have the wheel, you have the potter, and you have the clay, and that imagery is very powerful. It's powerful enough that it even made it into the Bible. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 18, I'm going to read this to you really quickly. In Jeremiah chapter 18, God uses this imagery of the, the potter and the clay and the wheel in describing his relationship with his people. Let me read this to you really quick. Jeremiah 18, it's going to be six verses here, starting in verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house. There I will reveal my words to you. So I, Jeremiah, went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working away at the wheel. But the jar he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hand. So he made it into another jar, as it seemed right for him to do. Verse 5, the word of the Lord came to me. This is God. House of Israel, in other words, people of God, okay? House of Israel, people of God, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay? This is the Lord's declaration. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel, people of God. These Pharisees that we just read about, they're trying to trap Jesus, okay? They're behaving as though they are the potter, They're manipulating things. They're forming things. They're shaping things. They're behaving as though they're the potter. And everybody else around them, the people, the woman, the crowd, right? Even Jesus to them are the clay. Friends, there's only one potter. There's only one set of hands that shapes history and shapes lives. Those hands belong to Jesus. In the, in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Colossians, it says that he, Jesus, holds all things together. It's like the song that we all learn when we're kids. He's got the whole world in his hands. I mean, literally. These scribes and these Pharisees, they tried to manipulate God. They behaved as though they were the potter and he was the clay. 
That's not the way it works. In love, I have to ask you a question. Are there areas in your life where you are resisting the potter's hands? He wants to shape you, inform you. God wants to shape your life into something beautiful, man. But some of us are just like these Pharisees. We're acting as if we're the potter. We're treating God like he's the clay. That will get you nowhere. That will hurt. That will jack up your life, dude. You'll miss out on joy. You'll miss out on beauty. You'll never be at rest, at least not for more than a few minutes. Because we're the clay. It also says something here in verse 6. It says Jesus wrote on the ground with his finger. Did you catch that? Okay. What does that mean? What did he write? Why did he write it? I studied this so much this week because I had that question and I like went for it. I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. And the more I dug, the more I read, it was like all these different theologians going back and forth. There's like a hundred different ways to interpret this passage. Okay, so many. And they've been like for centuries, guys, hundreds of years, scholars have been debating over the interpretation of this. Do you want to know what the interpretation is? We don't know. We don't, we don't know. There's some things that we don't, we don't know. That can be frustrating. Some of you right now hate me. <laughs> like, why'd you bring it up if you're not going to tell us the answer? Like, there's some things that we don't know. <clears throat> but here's the thing. You and I, understanding everything about God, creator of all things, the entire universe, you and I understanding everything about God would be like the clay understanding everything about the potter. So, this can be added to your list of questions that you want to ask Jesus in heaven. It's going to be in mine. Let's keep going. Verse 7. When they persisted, the they, the scribes and Pharisees, they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. And only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Okay. That's wild. Jesus' response to this woman is wild. Because, did you catch the order in what he said? Like, he says, neither do I condemn you. Then he says, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. We tend to reverse those, though, don't we? Like, all the time. And we, believe, we project that on God, too. We reverse those things. Usually, we'll say, like, if you go and don't sin, then I won't condemn you. Instead of the way that Jesus says it. I don't condemn you, don't go sin anymore. You seeing this? Don't make the mistake here. Jesus is telling her to change. But not in order to be accepted, but because he already accepted her. You see how upside down that is? How different that is? Because religion is different, guys. Religion says that, like, 
that the change part comes first and then acceptance comes. You change and then God will accept you. This passage, God in the flesh, says the complete opposite. And it's beautiful. The gospel reverses those. The gospel tells us that change comes from being accepted, not working for it. You tracking with me? That's Christianity. And it's the most beautiful news in the world. So here's my question for you this morning. I'm almost done. Who do you identify with this in this story? Who do you identify with in this story? Let's start with the scribes and the Pharisees. Okay, what do they do? They accuse this woman. They do it publicly, but they accuse this woman. And they even kind of work this scheme to make an accusation towards Jesus. So they accuse the woman. They're working at making an accusation towards Jesus. They're the accusers in this story. Does that sound familiar to you? They're the accusers. Um, In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, it says that Satan, the enemy of God, the devil, right? Satan accuses you, 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 you. Satan accuses you day and night before God. Do you know why? Because we're all guilty. This woman was guilty. It says Satan accuses you day and night before God. Why? Because we're guilty. The truth is we're just like her. We're just like this woman. We're guilty of disobeying God's law. And listen, hear me say this. Like God's laws, his rules, his laws, they're not there to control you. He's not like holding out on you. His laws are for human flourishing. His laws are so that your life will be wonderful. Not to hold out on you, not to control you, not to keep things from you. He wants you to flourish. Think about it. Adultery. Like you want to jack up a community, you want to jack up a series of relationships? Adultery is no big deal. No, it's damaging, it hurts people. It dest- it, it's destructive. It gets in the way of human flourishing. What's another one of God's laws? Don't lie. If you can't trust anybody, how deep can your relationships be? How beautiful can they be? Lying destroys the fabric of a relationship. It gets in the way of human flourishing. God's like, no, this lying thing's too cool. You guys can't have it. It's only for, no, that's not the way it works. Stealing. Don't steal. Like, it jacks things up, man. Do you see this? So God's law is not to control you. It's literally to help create an environment where you flourish. It's beautiful. The truth is, you and I are just like this woman. We're guilty of sinning against God and against other people. But here's the thing. Some of us work way too hard at keeping those things hidden. With the door closed and the lights off, not exposed, keeping them in the dark. But like, don't, how do I say this? The Bible tells us God sees everything. There really isn't any hiding. When I hide my sin from you, do you know what it says? It says that I value your opinion more than I value God's. Don't be fooled, man. Don't be fooled. God sees it all. Just like this woman, our sin deserves death. 
Like, hear me say that in love. I'm more of a sinner than you, okay? Like, our sin deserves death. And that's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus died at the cross. Like, Jesus, he absorbs the spiritual stoning so you don't have to. It's the greatest news in the world because all of us are just like this woman. We're guilty of rejecting God, disobeying his law because we think something else is more shining and more beautiful and going to give us more satisfaction. We do that. We reject him. We disobey his law. And the the, the penalty of that is the king. It's treason against the king. The penalty is off with his head or off with her head. The spiritual stoning, Jesus takes it in our place. It's the good news. It's the best thing ever. But here's my, hear me say this. There's a lot of parallels in this story. There's so much here. We could do like six weeks on this, just this pastor, or this, this passage. I want you to know, there's an accuser, man. There is an accuser who accuses you day and night before God. But there's also a savior. His name is Jesus. And he silences those accusations. How does he silence the accusations? By paying the penalty that's due in your place. So think about this. There's accusations towards you. Okay, because you're guilty, the accusations are coming in. Jesus pays the penalty for those, 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 your guilt. The accusations are silenced because the debt's been paid. You see this? It's his blood instead of yours. It's beautiful. Like, I was thinking about this this week, guys. I'm just like, I love Jesus. I love him. I was driving here today and I felt like God's like, he put this word in my brain and it's the word instead. I was telling some of my friends this morning, like, knowing what I deserve but what I get instead, it makes me just want to cry because I don't deserve it at all. Like, I could think off the top of my head right now of like 10 choices I've made in my life that are way worse than skipping school, although don't do it. Like, way worse that could have completely changed the trajectory of my life. I deserved my life to be completely changed. Like, for the worse. But you know what I get instead? I get God's grace and his forgiveness and what this woman gets. Did you see what she gets here? Like, do you see? Um, I'm gonna find it here. Yeah. Do you see what she gets? She gets grace. I'm going to close with this. I'll call the band up. If this passage doesn't rub you the wrong way, there's something wrong. Because it's scandalous. This woman deserved something. She deserved to be stoned to death. She deserved punishment. And she got something else. Did you see what she got? Did you catch it? <clears throat> and notice something too. Jesus doesn't condone her sin. Like he doesn't say it's okay, don't worry about it. I took care of it, it's fine. Like that's not his response. He doesn't condone her sin. But it's also clear that he does not condemn her. This woman, she encounters the grace of God. And you guys know what grace is, right? It's getting what you don't deserve. We've talked about this a bunch, but just to, you've heard me say this, but it's important. Like, think about it, like if you're late on your rent, right? 
You're late on your rent. A month goes by, and you're like, crap, dude, I got to pay this rent. Like, two months goes by. Your landlord's like, hey, like, where's the rent check? Three months goes by. You still can't pay your rent. Grace is not leniency. Okay, leniency would be like, hey, pay when you can. Okay, I know times are tough. Pay when you can. That's kind. It's wonderful. It's cool. But that's not grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Leniency says, hey, pay when you can. Grace says, the house, I want you to have it. It's getting what you don't deserve. This woman, she deserved death, yet she got something else. Did you catch what she got? What was it? Instead of death, this woman receives an invitation. The invitation is to obey Jesus. I don't condemn you. Go and don't sin anymore. He gives her an invitation to obey his words. He invites her away from a life of sin and into a life of obedience. Here's what I'm convinced of, and this includes me. This morning, God's inviting all of us to do the same thing. Um, And it's not, guys, it's not just like obedience for the sake of doing the right thing, feeling good about yourself, feeling like morally superior. Later on, we're going to go through it probably months from now, but in John chapter 14, Jesus talks about this idea of like, if you love me, obey my commands. So when he invites this woman to go and sin no more, he invites her into a a different lifestyle, away from sin and a life of obedience. Do you realize what he's inviting her into? He's inviting her into a relationship of love, of mutual love between the God of the universe and the sinner. It's crazy. And he's inviting each of you to the same thing every day. Like some of you guys, you know a lot about Jesus. You know a lot about Jesus. But do you know what it feels like to be saved from the death that you deserve? Do you know what it feels like to be in relationship with someone who's not just lenient, but is gracious to you? Who gives you what you don't deserve? Every day you wake up with an invitation to walk away from a life of sin, of doing things your way, into a life, invited into a life of obeying him and being in a a loving, a mutually loving relationship with God of the universe. Will you stand if you're able? I want to pray for us this morning. I feel like God has some, uh, some heart work that he wants to do. I'm going to listen for just a bit and then pray, okay? I feel like God wants us to walk away from some things this morning. I feel like he's inviting some of us to walk away from things that you know are wrong, but you're doing anyway. Not because he wants to control you, but because he wants to free you. God is highlighting violence. I don't get the sense that it's like um, 
I don't get the sense that it's uh, really bad, but I get the sense that it's like you're flirting with it. You found yourself getting a little too physical when you're angry. I feel like God's um, cautioning you to like step away from that. He's inviting you into obeying him. It's not using your hands in anger, but using your hands in love and care and the benefit of other people. I feel like God, if that's you, I feel like God wants you to, he's inviting you to walk away from that. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't condone it, but he doesn't condemn you. He's inviting you into a loving, a deeper loving relationship with him to where you can cast your anxieties and your angers and your frustrations onto him. He wants to hear that from you. I feel like he's highlighting, um, I feel like he's highlighting uh, like overeating or overdrinking. Um, when, you're, when you're afraid or when you're insecure or when you're uncomfortable, that, that those are the things that you run to. And he's inviting you to run to him instead. He doesn't condemn you. He invites you into closeness with him. He invites you to repentance, to stopping. I feel like, uh, I feel like God's highlighting lust. Lust is not just... Um, with like intimate things, lust is over desire. Over like desiring something too much to the point where you, um, to the point where you compromise God's law to obtain it. I feel like God is, is inviting us this morning to step away, to walk away from lust obey him. I feel like there's one more thing. Um, I feel like God is highlighting gossip. That's a tricky one. Speaking poorly about people when they're not in the room. God created you to love that person and serve them and see the things about them that maybe annoy you or that you think are sinful. See those things actually transform, be transformed. And God's the only one that can do that transformation. It's his love, it's his grace, it's his kindness. It's the encounter with him like this woman had. What if we were a people, God? What if we were a people that when, when we encountered each other or when the other people encountered us, that they, were, they had an encounter with grace? Father, I pray that you would guide us in that as a church, um, that we would be people who celebrate all the grace we have in you, that despite the, 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 the things that are like the most wrong about us, the, the, the worst choices we've made, you don't condemn us, you accept us. You don't condone the sin, but you embrace us as a sinner because that will transform us. It's grace. Your grace transforms the sinner into a saint. Not our Bible reading, although Bible reading is amazing. Okay, not our feeding the poor, although feeding the poor is amazing. Not our good works. By encountering you and your love, your stubborn love for sinners like me. 
I pray freedom over the room. I pray that every person who's got their mind racing with their sin right now, the things that they're not proud of, I pray that they would accept your invitation to walk away from them, to one, receive the forgiveness and to receive the new trajectory. That's my prayer this morning, God. All of us would receive the forgiveness that we desperately need, knowing that it's coming from a place of love and that the trajectory of our life today would change in very tangible ways. I pray for fruit of the Spirit, God. Fruit of the Spirit. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for not condemning us, for for embracing us always. I love you. Amen.